Um, so if you want to follow along in your Bibles, you'll find it on page 1026. Okay, the birth of Jesus. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger, because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a saviour has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favour rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he was conceived. Good morning again, everyone. Across the spectrum of human emotions, I want to put it to you this morning that right up there with our most treasured is the experience of joy. Here in Adelaide, it's summer, most of us will have some downtime in the next few weeks. We're incredibly blessed in so many ways. So as Christmas approaches, we give ourselves a little bit more license to pursue joy than normal. Whether it's the joy of kids anticipating presents, neighbours standing out in the street with a beer appreciating each other's Christmas lights, the making of a pudding to share with loved ones, the ritual of buying prawns from the central market on Christmas Eve. You can tell a few things I do every year. Roasting something a little special on the Weber or spending a few extra dollars on the bubbly. No one ever has too much joy. No one ever finds themselves in a room with loved ones having too much laughter and happiness. Those moments after a good meal, I don't know if it happens to you, drink in hand with friends and family, you kind of sometimes just drift into your own thoughts. And in those moments, 
If you actually find yourself truly happy, if you feel real joy, those moments, however fleeting, are very precious to us. We love them. They're beautiful. Philosophers down through the ages have placed the pursuit of joy at the heart of what it means to be truly human. It was philosopher John Locke in the 17th century who coined the phrase, the pursuit of happiness, that in the 18th century actually made it into the USA's Declaration of Independence, which starts with the preamble and those now famous words that we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty and the pursuit of happiness. The 18th century philosopher Voltaire put it this way, the pursuit of pleasure must be the goal of every rational person. Developing the idea that deep down, it's the pursuit of joy, pleasure and happiness which governs many, if not all, of the decisions that we make in life. What career to pursue, what postcode to buy a house in, who we're going to spend our time with, how we're going to use our leisure. Yet our experience of pursuing joy has us at a bit of a loss because there's much in our world that robs us of joy, sickness, war, unfulfilled hopes, poverty, disability, broken relationships and insecurity. When we do actually find joy, it's like trying to kind of take a drink out of a skin of water that's got holes in it where we drink quickly, but never really deeply. Our experience of joy has shown us that it's somewhat transient. It doesn't last. And many of us actually become a little wary of pursuing joy if we give ourselves fully to some endeavour and are let down. All but the greatest optimists among us will retreat for a while and say, I'll never give my heart so freely again. We lower our expectations to avoid feeling disappointed. I think in Australia at the moment, we've conditioned ourselves to pursuing joy in small, safe and controllable ways. We try to shut out our world at war, its terror attacks, its grinding poverty and turn inward into a small circle of family and friends seeking joy just for them, seeking just the right experiences, creating beautiful homes with big fences to keep its world and its troubles out. Our self-help writers and bloggers tell us that the path to happiness is to only let in the positive thoughts, the positive people, those who give something to us, the right uh, kind of influences on our kids. And along with a good dose of retail therapy, we amuse ourselves with small joys and pretend that the world is not as broken as it really is. I want to put it to you today, this Christmas, that we should think bigger. We need to dig deeper and we can look further ahead to pursue lasting joy. And at the heart of Christmas, this birth of Jesus into our world, as the angels declared in verse 10 of today's reading, really is good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Well, how does that work? Let's turn to our Dr. Luke, who has carefully recorded eyewitness accounts of Jesus' life in his gospel. 
and uh, it's on page 1026 if your Bibles are closed in front of you. Luke uh, kicks off chapter 2, ever the dutiful historian, making sure that we know these are real events, these are not a collection of Aesop's fables that happened in a real time, in a real place. We looked at that last week. We hear that in the days of Caesar Augustus, there was a census taken. Luke makes mention of things like verse 4, that they go to Bethlehem, the royal city of King David. Because Jesus is from the line of that great king, this is to be a royal birth. Which taps the kind of careful reader of the Bible into the larger movement of the whole story, a, a rising expectation that was at this time that God was going to fulfill his promises of old, that God himself would come to clean house, to transform hearts, to right wrongs, to heal, to bring God's justice. And as we follow Luke's account of Jesus' life and ministry, that's exactly what happens. If you've got your Bibles there, flick forward a couple of pages to 1030 to Luke 4. And uh, pick it up with me at verse 16, Luke 4, 16, halfway down the first column. We're at the very start of Jesus' ministry. We read of Jesus that he went to Nazareth, where he'd been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, he has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Now bear in mind the Jews had been reading Isaiah for centuries, looking, waiting for God's great King to come, whose throne would endure forever from the line of David. In verse 20... Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. He didn't kind of go sit back in the audience. You actually stood up to read the Bible and sat down uh, to teach. So feel the tension as, as we read that the eyes of everyone on the synagogue were fastened on him. As Jesus begins his sermon, verse 21, he began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus is saying, I'm the man, I'm the great king you've been waiting for. And as we read on in Luke's account, we see that Jesus really can walk the talk. As he strides through Israel with the confidence of the creator God, displaying his complete authority over everything in this world that robs us of joy. The lame are healed, they stand up, they leap for joy. The blind see, demons are cast out. The dead are raised back to life, as but a small preview to what life in Jesus' kingdom is going to be like for all who enter it, where those who are last in this world, sitting in a detention centre this Christmas or picking through a trash heap in India or living in fear in Syria can come to Jesus with the promise of being first in his kingdom. Jesus, through his own resurrection from the dead, displays to us the complete and utter destruction of our greatest enemy, death. A sentence we all live in fear of, from the wealthiest to the poorest. For anyone who looks out at our world and refuses to shut themselves off from its brokenness, 
for anyone not simply content to withdraw ourselves into our own safe little comfortable bubble, for anyone prepared to be truthful, to be a realist, who looks at our world and longs for a better day, the angels declare a great victory in today's reading. In Luke 2, verses 10 to 11, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a saviour has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. If we're content simply to turn inward into our own small circles with the goal of simply seeking joy there, with perhaps a happy home, at best maybe a successful career as well, we only end up living the lives of small people with little influence, living limited, introspective lives that are self-indulgent, self-absorbed and constantly at risk of sudden disaster that will rob us of joy. Jesus alone leads the way to a bigger life, giving us a part to play in God's unfolding story of bringing lasting joy to all who will come to him. So don't live a small life, think bigger. Serve our great and powerful saviour, Jesus Christ the Lord. Secondly, to find lasting joy... We actually need to dig a little deeper into ourselves and take the same sort of honest account of our own lives. At that very first Christmas, a saviour was born that could not only deal with the big problems of the world, but a saviour was born that could actually save us from ourselves, save us from that inner darkness. A darkness that comes from the fact that we've all pushed God out of our lives when we're made to be intimately connected to him. You can feel it sometimes. Even when you're in a crowd of people you love, you can feel isolated, lost in your place in the world. And we think, what's wrong with me? Why can't I keep doing the good that I want to keep doing? Why is there a side to me that I don't like? Would the people in this room really love and accept me if they knew all the ugly bits I hide away and cover over with a pleasant wrapper? What would God think of my sins against him and my fellow man? The thought of facing a God who has seen it all, everything, if we're honest and dig a bit deeper, is terrifying. Yet Jesus came to save us. He came to save us from ourselves. On the night before he died, he laid down the terms of a new covenant between us and God, a new contract, if you like, where we read, and he took bread, gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. The terms of the deal were that Jesus would bear the penalty of our sins, his body would be broken, his blood would be spilled, not ours. Because it was sin that broke our relationship with God, Jesus came to save us from it so we could be reconnected with the most fundamental relationship any human being can have, a relationship with the living God. For those who accept Jesus' death in their place and give their lives to him, 
we do not need to fear anymore being truly seen for what we are. Because Jesus has already seen it all, yet he chose to love us, to serve us to death upon a cross to bear the penalty of our sin and shame himself. So that we can experience the joy of being reconnected with God. In a small but meaningful story Luke recalls for us in chapter 8, we read of this occasion, it's just really an aside almost it feels, but very important, where we read that Jesus' mother and his brothers came to see him, but they were not able to meet him because of the great crowds that he drew to himself. Someone told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to see you. And Jesus replied, my mother and brothers are those who hear God's word and put it into practice. We can dig deep. We can have our inner darkness fully exposed. Yet through placing our trust in Jesus' death for our sins, know the exceeding joy of being fully known, yet fully accepted, as a deeply loved member of the family in the household of God. At peace with God. That was the goal of Jesus' entry into the world, as was declared to us in the most amazing ways, as we read from verse 13 of today's reading. We're in the field, suddenly a great company of the heavenly host. Try and picture it, like darkness of shepherds in the field, maybe gathered around a fire, bright shining lights, surrounded by a great heavenly host who appeared with the angel praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those upon whom his favour rests. God came to reconnect us with the living God and bring peace between us. And finally, in our pursuit of lasting joy, knowing we have a saviour who can both deal with the big problems of our world, who has promised to fix it, a saviour who can deal with the deep problems in our hearts, we no longer need to live by the mantra, life is short, play hard. Because Jesus offers eternal life for all who come to him, what Jesus displayed as he strode the earth is but a preview into life in his everlasting kingdom, where evil is finally destroyed without need to destroy those who come to him. In a world recreated where everything that robs us of joy this day will be no more. The blind will see, the lame will leap for joy, those who have been last in this life will be first. Never again will we hunger, never again will we thirst. Jesus will lead us to springs of living water and God will wipe away every tear. We will on that day be able to drink deeply of lasting joy where even just the smallest draft of what Jesus offers will far exceed our highest moments in this life. We can look further now beyond the grief and struggles of this life that we have experienced, that many this day live with, and also the trials that we are yet to face, and draw strength from Jesus to face them, looking forward to the lasting joy Jesus has secured for those who hear Jesus' words of salvation and put them into practice by trusting him. When we do look further ahead like this, it changes 
everything about our lives. We can let people into our lives that are in pain, that are an emotional cost at the time because we're not so focused on ourselves, we can look outwards and seek to love. We can be truly generous to others in the way we use our time, in the way we spend our money and all the resources God gives us. For followers of Jesus, the Prince of Peace, the one whose arrival we remember this Christmas, it really is a cause of great joy for all people who understand the implications of our Saviour coming, entering into this world that first Christmas. We have the pleasure of serving him to work now, bringing this good news of lasting joy to a world that desperately needs it. So I want to encourage you, these final two weeks before Christmas, to know the truth and to see yourselves that we are dealers, we are merchants in joy as we seek to share about Jesus this Christmas. So have a think, have a pray. Think about your neighbours who you might buy a little present for and attach an invite to church with. Uh, think about joining us in our letterbox drop that we're trying to get done today to invite the whole community to hear about this lasting joy. I think there's only five packs left on the uh, back table there. It'll take you about 15 minutes to play a small part in us playing our part in seeking to bring this lasting joy to the community we live in. Uh, Christmas services, as I, said, as I said, they're all in, family fun, uh, there'll be great bands at both Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. Christmas Eve, we're having a 4.30 and a 7 with a big barbecue in between. So you can come to the first and stay for dinner, we can have dinner and stay uh, for the second. And of course we meet again at 9.30 on Christmas Day. It's got to be about the easiest invite <laughs> uh, that you'll have all year for people to hear about this lasting joy. And it was just... It was great joy for all of us last year when a couple of hundred people took us up on that invitation and we had our biggest Christmas ever last year. We also really want to think through together how uh, people can not only hear, and this uh, maybe you might be exploring who Jesus is for the first time, we always want to think, how do I take a next step from what I've heard today or what I hear at Christmas? So we thought we'd try something new, we'll see if it works, on having a life summer series, that's our course for people looking into life with Jesus. We're going to start it in uh, sort of later in January after we've all had a, a couple of weeks off, Sunday afternoon, provide uh, free childminding for people, uh, dinner, drinks from the bar, for people to come and follow up and to take a next step after Christmas to find out something more about this Saviour that has entered the world to bring us lasting joy. You might want to invite friends to that. You may wish to come along and help and serve and cook and look after kids and things like that. And of course, in the new year, I want to encourage you that this church plant, um, from where I'm standing as a logistical kind of person, is all coming together wonderfully well. We've got a, a venue, a great core team. The finances are all taken care of. Staff are employed. We're ready to go. But let's not think of it as a logistical exercise for us. Let us remember that we are merchants in joy and we want to use this Christmas to lead into that well as we start a new church to create a new local delivery point for the joy that Jesus brings. I'm going to uh, close our time together now in prayer. Heavenly Father, we trust your love, grace and acceptance 
and that you created and saved us to live for your glory. We trust in your Son, Jesus Christ, as the Saviour of the world and your Gospel as your power for salvation for all who believe. We trust in your Son, Jesus Christ, as the loving, powerful and generous Saviour, Head, Lord and Judge of His Church. We thank you for the simple pleasures of daily life, for waking and sleeping, for mind, heart, body and energy, for a bed, for fresh, for fresh water, food and drink, for family, neighbours and friends, for trees, flowers and grasses, for earth, sky and sea, for sunshine, for rain, for books, for music, for our past and present homes. Please make us the people you want us to be, prepare us to do the good works you want us to do and help us to do them. Please increase our proactive love, friendliness, tolerance and generosity and our sympathy and patience. Please increase and multiply the effects of our ministry together and our prayers as the people we teach, train, pray for and encourage continue to teach, train, pray for and encourage others as well. Please provide for us evangelistic opportunities. Help us to be proactive in this and responsive to the unexpected opportunities you send. Give us good words to say about Jesus and help us to be bold, faithful and loving in our desire to share the gospel of Christ. We trust you to provide all the gifts, time, energy and health for us to live for you and do the good works you have prepared for us to do, to place us where you want us to serve you, to use our lives and ministry together and to hear and answer our prayers. Whether we find ourselves in times of sadness feeling hard-pressed or times of laughter and refreshment, help us to drink deeply of the lasting joy that only Jesus can provide. We pray all these prayers in the name of the Lord, our Lord, Jesus Christ, our most wonderful Saviour. Amen.